Thank you for choosing to connect with North Collins Wesleyan Church. We are a church of all ages that is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our congregation enjoys worship, fellowship, discipleship, and community outreach. Our worship services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. found in North Collins, New York. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Justin Leininger. Again, thank you for joining with us, and we hope you enjoy. We are in our third week of a message series on identity, following different judges in the wonderfully named book of Judges. And so this week we're introduced to Gideon and his story. This is found in Judges 6 to 8, and that's a rather large passage of Scripture. So I encourage you, the, the story, the, this understanding of this piece of history from Gideon that we have this morning, it's not all of his story, obviously. So feel free, if you'd like to, you can follow along some, or maybe what's even better is to take time this week to go back, look at Judges 6 to 8, and study this story for yourself. There is a lot of wonderful things there. Now, if you've been through us all three weeks, you may be a little bit tired of where we begin because each week is started in the same exact spot. Scripture tells us that the Israelites do evil in God's eyes. We're told that they forget about God, and when they have these judges in their lives, it seems like the judges are able to point each of, each of the Israelites, the, the nation, to God, but when that judge starts to pass away, when their time starts to fade, Israelites go back to forgetting about God. They do evil in the eyes of God, and because of that, they fall under the rule of a neighboring nation. This time we see it's specifically the Midianites, and maybe some other nations that the Midianites bring with them, but specifically the Midianites are the main ruling nation that is over Israel at this time. And I don't know about you, but as, as we've seen this happen now three times and understand it's happened even more than this where the Israelites turn from God, there is a little part of me that wants to say, again? And, and a little bit of me that wants to kind of like put my words in God's mouth and just say like, God, just like, are, is it time to be done with them? Is it time to just move on? Because they continually fall back to that. But what's amazing is those are, of course, my words, our words in God's mouth. That is not the way God thinks. And so as the Israelites are under the rule of the Midianites and they call out to God once again, we see God answer the call for help. And that's what we know about God, right? While we think we reach this point where we want to say, again, God is the God of love, whose love is unconditional, and whose love and forgiveness is unending, never-ending, continues on forever. And so we recognize they make that call, and God answers in his love, in his grace, in his forgiveness. Now here is what we find the Israelites. They're, they're under the rule of the Midianites, and this is different than the, the past ways they've been oppressed by other neighboring nations. Instead of basically ruling over the Israelites as a more powerful nation, asking for tribute, taxes, slave labor, that kind of thing, the Midianites take a very different direction. And think about that for a second. A, a neighboring nation comes and invades and they take control. And so Normally what they would do is they would just, you, they would set you up as, as a part of their nation and they would expect you to give them taxes, tributes, all the good things. And there's a little bit where there's, there's order to that system, right? There's laws in place because that invading nation, they in a sense want the Israelites to be in a somewhat healthy place because if the Israelites prosper, they're going to take the best. They're going to take some of that for themselves and so it's good for that nation. We see the Midianites 
have a completely different agenda and direction in being in control. The Midianites simply invade. They set up camp. We're told that they bring their tents. They bring all their animals. They bring all of this with them. They set up camp. They, they tent out for a little bit. They eat and they party and they have a blast with everything that they can take. And then they just destroy the rest. And then they leave. Only to, in a year or so, do the same process. And we find that it's usually around harvest time, right? The Israelites have all these crops. Everything is wonderful. The Midianites invade at that time, take all that they want, enjoy partying for a while, just enjoying everything, destroy everything else, and then they leave. And their biggest threat, actually, we find is the fact that the Midianites were so numerous, so overwhelming. As we looked at other nations around them that in the past have, have given Israel problems, some of them had mighty chariots and different things like that. The Midianites don't necessarily have those kinds of things. What they have is an overwhelming, overwhelmingly large force. And so they come in kind of as bands of, of robbers, but hordes and hordes of bands of robbers, just a, so many of them taking over. And in many ways for the Israelites, this is probably worse than any other country just controlling them because there is no system of rules. There is no system of order. And so they just find themselves in this situation where they exist in unpredictable terror. They don't know when they're going to be invaded, when the things are going to be taken away from them. They just know that it's probably going to happen. And so fear begins to reign in their lives. And we're actually told that the Israelites fear these things so much that they create mountain caves and strongholds where they hide away, literally hide away in fear. And fear at this moment, it becomes the dominating aspect of the Israelites' lives. Fear becomes their identity. So let us ask ourselves as we begin this morning, has fear ever become our identity? Has fear ever become the overwhelming presence in our lives, and in who we are. What are you afraid of? I can tell you that I'm afraid of quite a few different things, and specifically, and you can snicker this, or maybe you can relate to these things, I'm afraid of, of snakes. I do not like snakes. I mean, little snakes, that's one thing, but like growing up in, in central Pennsylvania, like I always had the idea that there was a copperhead or a rattlesnake around every rock out in the woods or something, and so, so that was there. I'm also not a big fan of sharks, and, and I don't enjoy, I, I love boogie boarding in the ocean, but there's always that thought in my brain when I'm on a boogie board and my feet are kind of flopping out the back, that I think to myself, I look like a delicious seal right now, right? Like, like to anything underneath, I have to look like a tasty seal. And that, that is always on my brain a little bit. Fears are real. Here are some fears. These are real fears. These are actual things that I've researched and found. These are real things. And you're going to enjoy these, I think, a little bit. You're probably going to most enjoy me trying to read these words in front of you. And so enjoy that. But these are real things. So the first one is this. Syngenios so phobia. I'm sure I butchered that. That's okay. We can get over it, but that's a real thing. It is the fear of your relatives. Fear of your relatives. And some of us probably have that at times, right? The next one goes along right with it. Pantherophobia. I think I did all right on that one. Pantherophobia is the fear of your mother-in-law. The fear of your mother-in-law. And maybe some of us have that fear. Xanthophobia. This one's completely different, but a fear nonetheless is the fear of the color yellow. Fear of the color yellow. And that one always interests me because there's a part of me that's like, when I think about intimidating colors, yellow is not like the number one on my list, but there it is. And maybe some of us have that fear. 
Linonophobia is the fear of string, the fear of string, which would be really interesting because I'm just picturing someone like crocheting and like someone else being completely terrified by like them crocheting or something like that. This next one you're going to really enjoy. I'm going to destroy this word though, so here we go. Arachibutryphobia. I'm pretty sure I messed that up. I'm not even going to try again, but there it is. But this is a real thing. It is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. The fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. And I understand that a little bit. That's not a great thing, right? Peanut butter sticking to your mouth, but that's a real thing. Chateophobia is the fear of hair, which clearly some of us don't have. Some of us don't have that fear. And then along with that one, pogonophobia is the fear of beards. How could you have a fear of beards? They're, they're wonderful and amazing, right? But that is something that is out there. Globophobia is the fear of balloons and kind of more specifically the sound that balloons make when they pop kind of randomly. And I can understand that a little bit because like when a balloon pops randomly, that's not like a fun moment for any of us. So I understand that one. This next one you're going to love. Anatideophobia is the fear of being watched by a duck. The fear of being watched, which is just a wonderful thing. But now that I think about it, if there was a duck just kind of watching me all the time, I would begin to become suspicious of that moment, all right? Metrophobia, fear of poetry. That one just makes sense. We don't need that, right? Turophobia, this one would destroy me. It's the fear of cheese. The fear of cheese. How would I exist? I don't know about you, but that would be horrible. And the last one is my favorite one. I'm going to destroy this word. That's okay. This is a real thing. Hippopotomonstrosesquimpelidaliophobia. That was not too bad though, right? Is actually the fear of long words. It is the fear of long words. And the worst part is, it's like, why did you make the word so long? Like you're, you're like toying with people who have that fear. But there it is. Now fear is one of those things, it's not easy to explain, is it? And the list of fears, this list of fears, I, I recognize it's probably extreme. And so maybe none of us have these fears, although there are probably pieces in there that we could relate to and we can understand why people have them. And, and while we... We chuckle at them because maybe they're a little bit extreme. They are real. And to the people who truly experiencing them, they're probably no laughing matter. And that is, that is what we know and probably what we need to know as we begin about fear. To those on the outside, fear, really any fear, it seems odd. At times, it probably even seems a little humorous. But to anyone in the fear... In that moment where you're boogie boarding and you're thinking about the shark that's probably underneath you, if you're experiencing that, and while that could be funny to others or humorous to others, when you're experiencing the fear, it's not funny at all. It is real. In fact, to those in fear, it is often gut-wrenching, debilitating, controlling, humiliating. It is real. We recognize that fear, it shuts us down. It stops what can be in our lives. It hinders us in relationships, in our careers, in our families, and it stops us from living out the faith in Jesus Christ through real and powerful steps that could be. It stops us from taking steps forward because, because the fear is there. Fear is so real at times for all of us. There are moments where fear, if we're not careful, it could be the defining aspect of our lives. And, and, and without it being put there on purpose, in many ways, fear can control us. Fear can become our identity. The Israelites are in that moment right here as we find them in Scripture. They're allowing fear to define them. 
they were oppressed by this overwhelming force of the Midianites, and they hide away in fear and cry out to God because they have no idea when the Midianites could strike, and that fear is overwhelming. Now, God's first answer is through an unknown prophet we find here in Scripture. God tries to remind the Israelites of all he has done for them, all that he has freed them from and brought them victory through. But in fear, they're at a place where they're not ready to budge on that. And so we're introduced to the next judge of Israel, Gideon, who God brings forth to lead the Israelites in this moment. Now, when we first meet Gideon, we see that he is joining the Israelites in their fear. And in many ways, he is a true, a, a great representative of the Israelites and their fear in this moment. What we do is we find Gideon, as we're introduced to him, in this moment where he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And maybe that just seems like we're setting the the stage for this moment, like we're setting the scenery, but that's actually really important because what we see is we see Gideon responding out of fear. Normally, they would thresh their wheat at the threshing stone, but that's a public place in their community. And so he is afraid that if he was doing that there and the Midianites come, everything that he has in terms of his food, they're going to come and, and take away. And so in fear, he's hiding away and he's, he's threshing his wheat in his own wine press, basically in hiding. He's trying to do this in secret so he doesn't potentially lose what he has. And now through this act, Trust me, I wouldn't call Gideon a coward in this, but we see that fear is rolling his actions, right? Fear is rolling his actions like it's rolling the Israelites in this moment. And so it is in this place, as he's he's doing this act, kind of hiding away in fear, that an angel of God comes and meets with Gideon. And the angel greets Gideon, and as he greets Gideon, he says this. He says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I can imagine Gideon in that moment, he's hearing that and he's like, the God, God is with me, mighty warrior. And he's thinking to himself, I don't see either of those two things happening right now. And he actually calls that into question. God is with me. And what do you mean mighty warrior? Who am I? I'm hiding away. And he, he even calls in his family in question. He's like, I'm not, I'm not anybody of substance. I'm not a mighty warrior. And what we see is that Gideon's going to need proof that God was involved in his life and that God would be there with him and that Gideon could be a part of God's plan. And so what we find is that Gideon, recognizing that this angel of the Lord is special, he he puts together a small offering of food. and, And in this moment, we see the first of many wonderful things happen for Gideon. God consumes the offering that he brought in a, in a flash of flames in just a second. Supernatural flames shoot up and, and consume the offering. And just by just a little bit, we see the hold on Gideon's life by fear begin to weaken. By just a little bit. How many of us, I wonder, even right now, or different places in our life, are being stopped by fear? How many of us are being controlled by fear? How many of us aren't seeing God's true glory made real in our lives because of fear? Fear controls us so easily, doesn't it? It finds this way into our identity. Sometimes it's just there in a flash, and other times it it kind of just works its way into us from one little life moment to the next to the next, but, but we find ourselves held up, held back, controlled by fear. Fear stops us from going to the doctors at times because we're afraid at what they'll possibly find out about us. Fear stops us from having meaningful conversations with family or friends because we're afraid what might be said. We're afraid what might happen to that relationship. 
Fear stops us from speaking up at work, at church, at school, at home. Speaking up because we might be ostracized, embarrassed, neglected, misunderstood, persecuted. Fear stops us from stepping forward, stepping out, stepping up, pressing forward because we don't know what the consequences could be. Fear stops us from believing, from becoming, from finding places to belong because, because, because we all have those reasons, right? We all have those excuses. And fear reigns in our lives. How do we get rid of fear? That's what we see happening in this moment with Gideon, right? God is beginning the process of removing fear from his life. How do we get rid of fear? If I seem a little bit tired or if I look like I limp at all this, this weekend or this morning, if I struggled with this getting this up on stage, yesterday I had the opportunity to run in a half marathon. And so I will be honest with you, my legs are a little bit tired this morning and I'm just a little bit exhausted and I feel that a bit. Um, and in that, I, I had a wonderful experience running in that half marathon, but, but I'll be honest with you, there were a few moments where I had doubt as I was, as I was participating in that. Most specifically, at about four miles in, I was experiencing some wonderful things, which is I was able to run downhill and downhill a lot. And that was a wonderful thing. There were some hills that you got to run downhill where it was like you felt like a kid again because it's those steep hills where you, you almost can't stop. You just have to kind of run fast and you just let gravity do its thing and you just run down and it was wonderful. The only problem was in my mind realizing the start and the finish are at the same place. So we know the famous saying about gravity, right? What goes up must come down. Well, the opposite is true with running, right? What you run down, you have to run back up. And that was in my brain as I'm running down those hills. What am I going to find? The good news was I didn't have to find any of those incredibly steep hills, but what I did find was that from about mile six to 10, it was just like this, running up the entire four miles, just gradually up and up and up and up these hills. And I'm going to be honest, I needed encouragement in those moments because there were spots where I was like, I should just stop. I should just stop and give up on this. There will be another half marathon for another day. But something kept clip, clipping, clicking in my mind. As I had the chance to prepare for this run and run around here in the area before leading up to that, I would do different runs. And so when I was trying to map out an eight to nine mile run in this area, a circle that would take me away but bring me back to home to finish, I, I mapped out this one run that took me, took me down Route 62 and then led me to Wilcox Road. And as I'm looking that on my phone, I'm thinking, oh, Wilcox, that's a great road to like, it's, it's like a perfect circle and this is going to be wonderful. Unfortunately, my phone didn't tell me like the terrain of Wilcox Road. And so when I got down 62 and turned to go up Wilcox Road, I literally had to go up Wilcox Road. And I can remember looking up and thinking, oh my. But on that wonderful day, for some reason, I decided to do that. And so as I'm in the middle of this run yesterday, what kept clicking through my mind was, this isn't as bad as Wilcox Road. This is okay. This isn't as bad. You've done this before. You've done this before. That little bit of encouragement from the past, it got me through. How do we battle fear? How do we attack fear? In many ways, we do the same thing, right? But the wonderful thing is, we don't have to look back to our personal victories because we recognize like, well, I did that, but I don't know that I can do this here. But it's not about myself and my own personal victories. 
It is about what God has done in the past and his victories. How do we attack fear? Look at Gideon in this passage. We see that that God is with us, and that's what God begins to remind Gideon, I am with you. We see that we need God to be near, and that's what we see. God is near to Gideon, and we see God's hand in our lives. We see that we are not alone. Even more than that, we recognize that God can do and will do wonderful things in our lives as he has in the past. And we see that God has a plan and that we are a part of it and that there is something more for us. And this is what we know. We know that when we see God, when we feel God, when we recognize God's hand and when we begin to believe in what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, fear flees from our lives. Fear flees from our lives. When we see God, when we feel God, when we recognize God's hand, and when we begin to believe in what he can do, fear flees. Now the control of fear in Gideon's life, it isn't at that point where it's, it's beginning to weaken. But he isn't really ready for the big test yet with the Midianites. And so God gives Gideon a small mission first. God says, Gideon, in your hometown, I want you to tear down the altars around you to false gods in your own hometown. Now Gideon's afraid to do this. He knew the people worshipped these false gods and, and that included his own family. In fact, Gideon's own father was in charge of one of those false altars to a false god. And so he's a little bit afraid to do this. And so what we see is Gideon plans to sneak off at night and to remove and destroy these altars. And he does that hoping no one will see that he's done it. But of course they do. And so the next morning, a hostile crowd forms and comes together with the intent to kill Gideon. But amazingly, Gideon's father, who, as we said, was actually in charge of one of those altars, steps up and stands forward for Gideon. And he challenges the crowd before him. And he actually challenges them and says this very simply, if these false gods are real and they want to do something about Gideon, let them step up and do something about Gideon. And so, of course, they wait, and nothing happens. And the crowd goes away, returns back home, and it works. They leave him alone. And again, after being successful and seeing his father stand up, just a little bit more, Gideon's fear begins to melt. And that is just in time, because at this moment, the Midianites lead their forces on an invasion again of Israel. The invasion is returning. Now before we continue, let's talk a little bit about identity. Let us be reminded our identity is our, our qualities, our beliefs, our personalities. It's, it's all those things that make up who we are. These things that make up who we are, they are centered around the key truths that we place in our lives. For the Israelites, this was trouble because fear could become their identity because when it came to their qualities, their beliefs, they had at this moment no truths to place those things upon. Gideon, before we find him in this moment, he had fears because he doesn't know. Does God care for me? Does God know me? Does God understand me? Will God provide? Can God provide? Will God keep his promises in my life? And without these truths, what we see is fear will reign 
in his life. Remember this. When your identity is not based on the truths of God, fear will reign. Let me say that again. When your identity is not based on the truths of God, fear will reign. If your identity is not found in the truths of your faith in God, it will be found in the fears of the reality of your world. The fear of cancer will become your identity. The fear of failure will become your identity. The fear of missing out will become your identity. The fear of messing up will be your identity. The fear of loss and heartbreak, the fear of rejection, the fear of separation, the fear of division, it will all become your identity unless your identity is found in God and in his truths. Because we recognize this about God. God does care. God does love, God does know, and he does understand. God can and he will provide, and God will keep every promise that he has made. God gave Gideon this first test, and he did this so that Gideon could begin to see that God is all of those things, and to begin to see how God would provide and would uphold his promises. More often than not, God allows us to have small battles, tests, and victories just like Gideon did here because it grows our faith, it nourishes our heart, and it allows us to see the truth of God and, and his place in our identity. Remember, you can't build something great with God until we tear down the fears that control us, until we really start to believe in him. That has to be there. Our faith, our belief, That is the key ingredient to our future. And so God tells Gideon, it is time. And Gideon's faith, though, as he recognizes it's time, Gideon still feels in his heart, I need a little bit more from you, God. And so Gideon has this very moment that in many ways, some of us may have heard this part of the story before. It's a very famous moment with Gideon and a wolf fleece. And so Gideon says, God, I need, I, need one more, I need one more proof, one more test from you, God. And so he takes this wolf fleece and he lays it out on the ground and he says, God, if, if this is true and this is what you want from me, God, this is what I ask. Overnight, I want the dew to come, but I want all the ground around this, this wolf fleece to be dry, but I would like the, the dew to be in this fleece and I want it to be wet So he wakes up the next morning and he goes out and the ground is dry, but he picks up the fleece and he's able to empty enough water to fill an entire bowl of dew in that fleece. God's showing Gideon that he's there, that he's real, that he's true, that he's involved, that he's invested, that he loves, that he cares. But Gideon is kind of like us, I think. And he's like, "Ah, maybe like one more test, God. Like, how about one more test, God? I know you've done all these things, but I, I really want to know. And so He says, God, okay, just give me one more night. Please do the opposite. This time, may the ground be soaking wet, but may the fleece be dry. So he leaves it out overnight, and he wakes up the next morning, and that's what he finds. The ground is wet, but the fleece is completely dry. Once again, God has proven to Gideon that he is there. He is shaping Gideon's belief, pushing aside his fear. So now is the time. Scripture tells us that Gideon calls together the local Israelites, and he's actually pretty good at it because in just a moment, he calls together 32,000 soldiers to come together. 
That sounds like a pretty good force, right? 32,000 soldiers, but, but that is until you find out that the Midianites have an army somewhere around 135,000 soldiers. And so you're starting to think to yourself, 32,000 versus 135,000, that doesn't sound like great odds. And God agrees. He says to Gideon, you've got too many troops. You've got way too many troops. You need to get rid of some of those troops. I can imagine Gideon's thinking the same thing you're thinking. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? But that's what he does. God tells Gideon, I want you to tell your, your troops, whoever here is worried, whoever here is in fear, go home. And so he does that. 22,000 out of the 32,000 go home, and Gideon is left with 10,000. Now that sounds like a good number, right? 10,000 versus 135,000. This is a great moment. This is going to be wonderful. But once again, God says, you have too many. I have to ask myself, why? Why is this too many? But we recognize God isn't worried about fighting a war against an army. God is worried about fighting a war, fighting a battle against fear. God wants to prove to the Israelites and to the world where our faith, where our identity is found. That when he is with us and we place our faith, our identity in him, there is nothing that can stand against us. So God tells Gideon very simply, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take all the army out, 10,000 of them, and I want you to take them to the local water place, and I want you to get a drink. Everybody in the army is getting a drink. And when they drink, I want you to watch them. And I want you to watch every soldier who bends down to the water, cups it in their hands, lifts it up, and laps the water like a dog. This is what the Bible tells us is true, is, is happening in this moment. Laps it like a dog, those soldiers, I want you to keep. And so Gideon keeps his eyes on them, and the troops go down, and most of them do what probably most of us would do, which was get on our knees and kneel down and drink from the water. But, but a few of them, 300 of them, kneel down, not really kneel down, kind of bend down, scoop water in their hand, and they lap it like a dog. And those 300, God says, keep those. That is your army to go to war. And so now these 300 troops, they head off towards battle. The Bible tells us that Gideon gives each soldier in that 300 army, under army of 300, he gives each one a trumpet, an empty jar, and a torch. And that night, his army of just 300 secretly spread out around the enemy force. Together at the same time, they lit their torches, they blew their trumpets, they smashed their jars, and the enemy army woke up and attacked each other. And then they fled before the Israel army of 300. Scripture tells us that in those moments, 120,000 of the Midianite army fell in those moments. And God and Gideon would further lead the Israelites to victory over the Midianites and on to 40 years of peace for their nation. 40 years of peace. I don't know about you, but when I think about fear, there's one big thing that I really dislike about fear. What I see in my own life is when it comes to fear, it's there's always a reason in my life for me to fear. I know there are reasons that are going to come in the future probably, but I don't have to worry so much about them because I've got things right now that I can be afraid of. I've got things 
right now. But the thing that I really dislike about fear is, is those fears that I have right now and what they steal from me. What they steal from me every day if I allow them to be there. I look at the Israelites in these moments leading up to this point and, and I, I wonder how much fear has stolen from them. How many wonderful moments as a family, as a nation, as individuals that they are missing out on because they're hiding away in, in caves and places with their wine presses trying to hide their food. And they're, they're so worried, they're so filled with fear that, that the fear has stolen the life right out of them. And I recognize this is, this is my truth at times as well. How I and how I probably believe that we, we allow fear, right? We allow the thought of what the doctor could tell us is true. We allow the fear of what, what could happen in this relationship. We allow the fear of that conversation that we know is coming and that person whose emotions and opinions we can't control and we don't know if it's going to blow up or what it's going to do and we allow the fear of those confrontations and those moments that are coming and and not only do, do they steal that moment, but they steal all the moments of joy that could be leading up to them. And we forget the words that we remember in Isaiah 43. God tells us very clearly, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, you will not, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I don't know what it is fear-wise that you're facing right now. If it's a conversation, if it's an appointment with a doctor, if it's, if it's a difficult moment in a relationship, what it is, but I want to encourage you in this. When that moment comes, God will handle it. Until then, remember that he loves you. Remember that he cares for you. Remember that he sees you. Remember that he knows you and he understands you. Most wonderfully, know that he is always there with you. He is our Savior. He sent his son Jesus Christ into the world so that that this would be our truth, that this could be the groundwork of our identity. May we not this morning only talk about what our identity isn't. As we close, may we remember that if our faith is found in Jesus Christ and God above, and that is where our identity is, remember this is what is the truth of our identity. This is the truth of your identity identity. We are secure. Cancer and medical news, they are no threat to us. God is in control. We are bold. That conversation that we need to have, it is not about our words. It is about God's grace. God is in control. May we remember that we are confident. That step we need to make in life, it isn't about our abilities versus the world's powers. It is about God, and God is in control. May we remember that we are assured. The world has its struggles. Yes, the world has its struggles, but God has his promises, and God is in control. You are secure.
you are bold, you are confident, you are assured. Let me say that again. This is who you are. You are secure. You are bold. You are confident. You are assured. God is in your life, and God is in control. Father in heaven, God above, when it comes to our fears, God, I recognize, God, that those fears can overwhelm us. And God, when those fears come and they are real, it is so easy for them to just take all the joy out of life. It is so easy for them to control us, to become that thing that we dwell upon. But God, allow each and every one of us to recognize your wonderful place in our lives. Let us recognize, God, that, that our hope, our truth, it is all placed in you and your son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit working and moving in our lives. And may we recognize, God, that you are in control. And so, God, I ask that you would bless us right now. If there's anything in our lives right now that we fear and that fear is taking control, may we recognize, God, that with you in control, everything is handled. May we put the fear aside. May we look back and remember all the wonderful things that you've done in our lives and in this world. And may we have faith in what you can continue to do right here in our present and every day in our future. Bless us now, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close in worship this morning?